Good morning, Bethel. Take your Bibles open to Acts chapter 2. If you want to use the church app, you can uh, download the church app and follow the notes along there as well. As part of the sermon today, we're actually going to partake of communion together. And so um, if you are new to, the, to Bethel, um, know that uh, we, you don't have to be a member to receive communion. Uh, it is, uh, it's best to be reminded that you're a follower of Jesus if you're going to partake of communion, because if you're not a follower of Jesus, then it doesn't have any meaning. Uh, when you are a follower of Jesus, it has significant meaning. And of course, it'll come in the context of uh, the sermon as we walk through uh, Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 40. We're going to read the remainder of that chapter as we've really now spent, this will be the seventh week we spent on the first two chapters of the book of Acts. And so let's read our text together today. And with many other words, he, that being Peter, bore witness and continued to exhort them saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all, as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. June 1st, 1980, which is certainly well before some of you were born, Others will not even recognize how our world took a significant shift on that day. Because on that day, uh, the first 24-hour news service, CNN, came online. September 11th, 2001, there was another significant shift that happened because of the terrorist attack that took place that morning. You would turn on the 24-hour news service, and it's continued to this day, and across the bottom you'll see breaking news. In an attempt to get your and I's attention to what is happening in the world. In fact, in 2020, we had a worldwide crisis, and now it's been a year and a half where politicians of the world have been working significantly hard at making the world normal again. They've done that by printing a boatload of money, not just in the United States. They've done that by attempting to get herd immunity through vaccines. And while that is taking place, we're experiencing yet the next crisis. The next crisis came along with micro, uh, little chips that go in the computers. And then we had 
the latest being the crisis of baby formula. And now there's a food crisis. Now, you may not see the food crisis where you live or where I live, but around the world, there's a food crisis. And now, living from crisis to crisis seems to be a normal way of life. And all of these problems, all of these challenges are brought to us through 24-7 information. In fact, um, if for, for Clarissa and I, we, we experienced that a little different than some. In 2002, Arizona experienced the largest wildfire in its history, a half a million acres. And while I lived in utter denial that we would have to be evacuated from the fire, God bless my wife who took all of our possessions and the important pictures and documents and stuffed them in metal chests that we could load by in the back of my Ford truck as they said, you got to get out because if it jumps this road, it's going to take out all these houses. So it was a very interesting time to, to wonder if you were going to have a house to go back. But what happened was twofold for me in that, in that time period as it relates to our 24-7 uh, cycle of information of what's going on in the world is that as we were we were evacuated, we actually stayed with another pastor at a town about 40 minutes, 45 minutes to where we lived, and uh, and it was it was boring. There wasn't a lot to do, so I would just go to where the crowd was, and and I would just hang out. And one particular time, I'm hanging out, uh, a news service came right by me, and they asked me a question: Are you satisfied with the way they're dealing with things? They were just looking for one person to say one story so they could build a perception that people were not happy with the things, the way things were being dealt with. Well, as time goes on, we go home. Our house didn't burn down, but we go home. And I'm watching the news, and as I'm watching the news, I'm watching how they are talking about illegal immigration. It's hard to believe that in 2002 they were talking about illegal immigration. They're talking about illegal immigration and how the illegals, the bad people, are coming across the, the border, and they're starting fires. Now, while they're giving this story, which that was something that actually happened, they would start fires to stay warm in the desert, the, the ticker tape across the bottom was recapping the largest fire in Arizona history. And so if you weren't careful, you would think that illegal aliens caused the largest fire in Arizona history. And actually, it was caused by two people. It was caused by an out-of-work fireman and it was also caused by somebody who uh, was lost, and so they started a fire to stay warm and walked away from it. So for me, I tended to go, okay, all these things I'm watching, I'm going to step away and just go, I don't know if I could take it at face value. Now, you know as well as I do, last year, the United States Navy came out and released footage of the UFO. Don't know if you had a chance to see that or not. In fact, in the last six years, What's come, become common in our, in our American vernacular, maybe you've used it once or twice or a hundred times, these words, fake, some of you have used it, fake news. And now, every person carries one of these that they don't necessarily talk on the phone that much, but they use it to record things. And so now it's not just a matter of us receiving information from news organizations 24-7. Now we receive information and news from everyday common people. I don't know if you've seen this video.
Did you miss the moon getting hit by an asteroid? Now, some of you are going, did that really happen? Because, why am I telling this? Because this is the world we live in. The world that we live in, it used to be that you couldn't believe what you read. It used to be you couldn't believe what you heard. Now we can't believe what we see. And so, we live in a world that literally needs to touch, needs to feel, and experience the reality of Jesus. Because our whole culture, our whole world, people know instinctively is built off deception. People attempting to frame our perception. And so the purpose of Pentecost is directly related to the culture in which you and I live in. Because the purpose of Pentecost is God's attempt, which he's done quite successfully, to build a powerful, counter-cultural community. A community where people can experience the reality of Jesus. It's interesting that Peter, in the last part of his sermon, said these words, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Just say those words with me. Save yourselves from this crooked generation. There's this responsibility that we have. We are to save ourselves from a world built off of perception and lies. Now, there are two extremes to this, by the way, and there have been two extremes to this in history. Uh, maybe you find yourself at one or other end of these extremes. I was raised in the, in the religious extreme of this, where it was all about what you wore um, or didn't wear. It was a matter of you didn't do this and you could only do that. I, didn't, I had never heard of mixed bathing before I came to Texas. Okay, if you'd have told me that as a little kid, the picture that would have entered my mind. But for the old Texas religious people, they know that it's actually swimming. I don't know why I don't call it mixed swimming, because mixed bathing brings a different kind of picture to our minds, doesn't it? And so this idea of being countercultural was shaped by religious leaders by saying what you're to do and what you're not to do. The other extreme of that, and I think is probably more prevalent, more predominant in our culture today, is that no one tells me what to do. I can be a Christian, and the culture can see no difference in my life. That's an extreme. If the people in your life don't recognize a difference in you by the way you live or by the way I live, then we are not countercultural. We are going with the flow. And church people that go with the flow never have an impact on their circle of influence. God's intent is that ultimately that we would have this countercultural community. And this countercultural community 
happens because we come to the community and not with a mindset that the community is for me, but we come with a mindset, me, for the community. Understand that subtle difference. It's not about the community for me. It's me for the community. Now, uh, one of the things I think we're coming out of, I think, is that there, there are whole organizations, church organizations, that, that say if you're going to be for the community, it really is not that you're for the community. You're for the church structure that any particular person is attempting to build. So you're part of the community if you do. I'm a, I'm a big believer in God did not create us to be human doings. We're human beings. And so we can get out of balance by getting into these wrong structures that, that attempt to build a structure as opposed to the kind of Pentecostal community that God desires for us. And so when, when, it, when, they said, when Peter says, save yourself from this crooked generation, he wasn't say, saying, step over this line so you can be in Christianity. Because Christianity is about a direction more than it is about a decision. And so what the, the scripture says is that they devoted themselves. They turned their life in a different direction than the current culture had them pointed. It's important that we get that because that's what Christianity does. It points us away from everything that this world says we're living for. And we set our eyes toward Jesus. Now, this does not mean we become hermits. It does not mean that we go out and we quit our jobs. It doesn't mean that, that we don't interact with the people around us. That's not what that means. It means that even though this is why the world says I'm supposed to do it, I can discover that when I'm looking to Jesus, he's got a better way of doing it. He's got a more fulfilling way of doing it. And so I kind of want to walk through our connect, grow, go today this way with just with three words. And then we'll kind of break it down a little bit more. But really, there's an, uh, an interaction, there's an incorporation, and then there's intercession. This interaction has everything to do with us looking like Jesus. And I think if we, if we stop for a minute and we just assess our life, if we look around in the people in our world, we could go, it seems to me that person looks more like Jesus than that person right? Is that a fair thing? Now, I, listen, the enemy always tries to get in. Well, you're not supposed to judge. I'm not telling you to judge. Here's what I am telling you you can do. The Bible gives you complete freedom to be fruit inspectors. And some fruit looks more like Jesus in someone than others. Here's what I can guarantee you. Nobody perfectly looks like Jesus. We all got a bit of, a bit of ourselves still in ourselves that he's working out of us that he's changing us. But the moment we say yes to him and we change our direction, now the DNA of Jesus has entered our life. Now, because some people think that's all they have to do because they believe in Christian evolution, that they're just going to just magically change. But there's a process that God does through his spirit that allows his DNA to grow in us, to develop in us, for, so we end up looking more and more like him. Unfortunately, in our world today, we've got a lot of underdeveloped Christian kids in full-grown bodies. 
How does that happen? Well, it happens because the Pentecostal lifestyle is all about our interaction with him. That's, that's the place it happens. Now, I've got, I've got some volunteers, so I'm going to ask my volunteers to come up because they're going to help me with this. Um, so come on, everybody come up here. Yep, come on all the way up. Okay, I need everybody on this side. But Zam, you stay on that side. There are, these are, these are the relationships in our life. All kinds of different relationships. Now, in, in, a, in a Sunday morning context, there's just going to be light touches in these uh, experiences. And, and, and maybe uh, that would never happen to you. I'll use Andy as an example here. Andy comes in a bad mood, and you experience his look. It's going to cause a reaction uh, in you. Now, you may not, you may, may not show it, uh, but inside you have this emotional response that happens. Then there are people in your life, like if you are in uh, some form of life group, that will say, these two, they're part of my life group. And in my life group, it's just, you know, I can just experience his mood and I can walk away. But it's in our life group now that all of a sudden they begin to understand that inside of me are, are moods and challenges. And, and I'm still trying to discover, and they're trying to discover. And, and it's in this group now that I become more transparent about my life. And then there's the worldly group. The, these are the group, this is the group that doesn't know Jesus yet. And, and, in, and understand that in Acts chapter 2, you've got all this mix going on. And, and so what you find is that this interaction becomes critical in dealing at each and every level. So as I find myself in my, in my group, and in my group, uh, I, I've come to my group and uh, I've lost my job. And I'll be honest with you, if, if I've lost my job and I'm in my group, I really don't care what everybody else is talking about. But I know that, I know that, uh, that Fabian's been struggling. That smile that normally shows all of his teeth <laughs> he's, he's been going through something and I, and I don't, and I don't, there's part of me that doesn't want it to be all about me. And so in my mind now I'm processing, I'm going, how do I deal with this? This is where the interaction comes. So I come to the Jesus. You can come right over there, Jesus. Got to get out. You're, you're too beautiful to be off to the side here. I come to Jesus and, and before I've ever gotten to my meeting now, because interaction is so critical, I'm saying, okay, Jesus, how do I get your joy to show through me when I've lost my job? And Jesus is going to answer somehow. You better answer somehow. Since I even wrote it down for you, it wasn't fair of me just to make her do it off the cuff. But she's going to answer to me. Good. What do you, how, how would you answer? I am pleased with you. I will take care of you. My rewards for you are not found in what you earn. Oh, that's something to process. Getting past how I'm going to feed my family, my job really is my identity. You got to set that aside. And as I do that, I begin to recognize, wait a minute, the Lord, he's, she, the other half, cares about me. And now I can go into a relationship 
and go, with a smile, I lost my job. How's it going with you? you yeah, you don't have to say <laughs> I told him he wouldn't have to say anything, I promise. So with the interaction, what it does, the interaction of, with the Lord here begins to allow the fruit of the Spirit to be developed in my life of joy in a particular situation. And then, and then since we'll get back to the grouchy one. Yeah, I know. I, that's okay. I, see, I knew I could get away with it from you. Um, and I go, okay, Lord. I don't have the patience for Abby today. Now, I know that none of you have ever experienced this in your life. And Brittany's not here to amen any of this, so you're doing real good here, man. Yeah. But if I try to figure it out on my own, if I do it apart from the interaction, I'm going to address this, this behavior. I'm going to address this, this, uh, abu this abrasiveness with a bit of harshness. But if I have an interaction with the Lord and I come to the Lord and say, Lord, how do I deal with this abrasiveness? I don't even know how to be patient. I don't know, whack him. He's not, Lord's not going to speak until. Okay, um, remember when you were hurt Bob in the second grade by laughing at him? Like, no, remember when you hurt Bob in the second grade by laughing at him? Your sin is abrasive to me, and yet I am patient with you. See, sometimes when we get when the, we come to the Lord with this stuff, He gives us His perspective of us, and what that does is allows the fruit of gentleness then to come through in a relationship where now I don't have to be abrasive. When the Lord reminds you of the areas that you have been abrasive, it's easier to allow the patience of the Lord to come through in our life. A little bit further, you could come back to you can come back to your group, and and you could go. I'm tired of this group. I want to quit. I want to walk away. I'm going to go find a better group. You know, semester's ended. We're just going to go find a better group this next semester because, Lord, they're no good. On my own, my desire to quit, my desire to, to leave people behind has more to do with my selfishness than their issues. But when I'm in interaction with the Lord and I say to the Lord, I just want to quit this whole thing. I never quit. I will bring you a solution to your problem. Remain faithful and trusted. The Lord will always bring us to a place where we place our faith and hope in him and so what happens is what develops out of this interaction is a fruit that is patient, it's kind, and it's faithful. Because on my own, in my own power, I just want to walk away. And then there's the worldly. These guys are not good representations of the worldly, but for case in point. There are people in your and I's life where if you've been a Christian long enough and you learn about the fivefold ministry, you want to give them the fivefold ministry. I, this, I, don't, I, I can't recollect this happening at Bethel, but in years past, I've had people come to me and say, man, everybody in my work is just so mean and evil. I need God to get me a job where it's all Christians. That just tells me that they've stopped the interaction. 
So they don't know how to interact with people who do them harm. Because this is, this is how I've seen people in America pray for those kind of people. Okay, they, they post things on Facebook that are different from my political views, or they say something that they know I don't agree with just to try to get under my skin. And so people will, will pray, God, just slay them all. You, you take care of them. You sort them out. And I, I like the fact that we should end that prayer in Jesus' name. Yeah, right. But when I have this interaction with the Lord, Lord, I don't love them, but you do. Because here's the reality that we know in Scripture. God does not have problems with your enemies. You have problems with your enemies. God doesn't have a problem with them. And so I come and I say, Lord, I want to give them the fivefold ministry. Ask them about their past. I will show you the heart they are trying to protect. Allow the Lord to begin to show you why they're acting and reacting the way they are. That is how the interaction works. Now, this isn't, this isn't a part of, these two you wouldn't say part of a Pentecostal community, but actually what you find is when the body of Christ begins to get into an interaction, a true authentic interaction with the Lord, people will want to be around them. Now, None of us up here from Zam to Andy, everybody in between. None of us look on our own like Jesus. But together, as we interact with Jesus, there is this powerful presence that begins to be developed that becomes attractive to people in the world. Okay, thank you guys. Now, is there, you can give them a hand. They did a wonderful job. So how, how is this lived out? As I was, I was pondering, a young man by the name of Matthew um, when we first started our church in Arizona, we went, we went door to door. And me and my friend, Les Binko, we, we would knock and we had a series of questions that we would ask. And we knocked on this one trailer and this, this lady answered. And um, we didn't want to get in any compromising situations. So we asked if her, uh, if her husband or her boyfriend was at home. And she know, my boyfriends aren't home right now. She had two. And so we came back later and we met one of them. And as we, as we began to talk to him, we invited him to our group. Said, why don't you just come out and hang with us? Had no Christian background, didn't have any idea of what it meant. Just come and hang out. And so we had, uh, we had a number of meetings that planned two large community meetings before we, uh, before we launched the church. He came to all of them. In fact, when we, we first started having our services, he would come up on his, with his uh, Baja bug right up to the front of our, of our, our little uh, building, and you'd hear him coming, and he would come, and he would sit. He would enjoy, and he would, he would go, and he'd be part of everything that was being done during the week. But I'll never forget one, one time when I'm preaching, he's sitting in the crowd, and he just goes, just a simple nod. Hmm, that's interesting, Lord. What are you doing there? I didn't rush right up to him and say, hey, you need to give your life to Jesus or you're going to burn in hell. I just interacted with the Lord. People around him just interacted with the Lord. And then we had a, a time where we had for uh, a altar time prayer, and we, and we came up, and, and, he, and I don't remember the need. I just remember saying to him and said, I said, you know, Matthew, for you, if, if you really want God to do stuff in your life, you've got to turn your life over to him. He goes, oh, I want to do that. He became our first bass player, serving Jesus, married, couple kids now. 
Why? Because he experienced a community that didn't come with these expectations of our, out of our own humanness, but came to a community of believers that came to the Lord and interacted with them, and based on that interaction, interacted with the people that were around them. And when you believe that you're interacting with Jesus, then what's going to happen is you're going you're gonna to begin to live like Jesus. The incorporation of people in your life are going to become much more um, uh, a significant part of your life. For Jesus, Jesus was all about relationships. He didn't leave heaven to go and get a church building with budgets and the rock and worship team. He didn't do that. Jesus left heaven to build relationships because he understood there's nothing more powerful for change than relationships. If you are chasing after some girl for marriage, as a guy, you know there's nothing you wouldn't do because the desire for relationship, it compels you, it, it moves you. Jesus, he had, to, he had to fight to spend time with his father in prayer. You know, we fight to get people to spend time in prayer with the Father, but Jesus had to fight to get it. Why? Because wherever he went, he was always helping people understand that his Father was not some distant God, but that there's this relational component that God was showing himself and making himself known. And so when the Pentecostal community comes in, it's highly relational. Now they, they begin to learn together. They worship together. Now, for them, it was a different culture. They would go to the, to the synagogue. In our culture, we come together once a week and we worship together. But then there's this caring for one another. There's a sacrificing for one another. And here's, here's the great challenge in our individual, uh, individualistic culture, is that we are, live in a way that we incorporate other people into our life, not based on what we can get, but what we can give. That's, that's all about the difference between community for me and me for community. Now I got, I got to take my desire, my bucket list, my goals, my things, and say, Lord, I'm going to bring that to the cross, and I'm going to allow that to die in order that I might be in relationship. I was, yesterday we had a, a funeral here, and I was sitting back with Clarissa and I didn't know the majority of the people here, and so I'm, you know, just trying to be in the shadows. And, uh, and I just leaned over to Clarissa, and I said, isn't that cool? Because it was a brother of one of our, our group leaders, and their group members, they came. Not so much that they knew, maybe in part, the person that passed away, but it was important to show their love and support for the one that had incorporated him them into their lives. Now, if, you, if you're new to Bethel, what you're going to find is Bethel is highly relational. And we're highly relational not because of Sunday. We're highly relational because people are devoted one to another Monday through Saturday. Because more ministry can be done Monday through Saturday than can ever be done on a Sunday. Now, we get equipped and we get trained so we can go and, and live those relationships. But I think it's good for us, in, at least in this moment, to ask ourselves, are we really choosing to live intentionally? And when we live intentionally, we're incorporating people into our lives. It, it, do you see yourself 
here for your family or your family here for you? Do you see yourself here for the church family or the church family here for you? Do you see yourself here for your life group or your life group here for you? Are your neighbors there for you or are you there for your neighbors? See, living like Jesus is countercultural because, because we are intentionally trying to be incorporated into the relationships that are around us. Which brings us, by the way, to communion. Communion is critically important to understanding God's value of incorporation in relationships. And when we do not incorporate relationships, living like Jesus lived, then the grace that we long for and we pray for seems to get a bit of a long arm from the Lord. I don't have this up on the screen, but I want to read out of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Just close your eyes and listen to these words Paul is writing. But in the following instruction, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it's not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear there are divisions among you, and in part, uh, and, I, and I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. That's just a small group thing. We're not going to preach that today. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead of his own with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he gave, had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This is the cup, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself, then, as so, eat of the bread, drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judge ourselves truly, we will not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may be condemned, uh, so we may not be condemned with the world. Paul writes these words because he understands that when we live a life that puts ourselves in front of others, when we go to the Lord for healing, when we go to the Lord for an answer of prayer, we find ourselves at arm's distance with the Lord, which is why he said some have even, have even died. They prayed to be healed. They prayed that they wouldn't die, but it happened. Why? Because they didn't live like Jesus. 
the idea of incorporation in relationships was something that was not valued. And when we do not value it, we don't understand the critical piece of communion, which allows us to be in perfect relationship with the perfect one. And when we do not incorporate others, it's because we believe they are less than we. And so when we posture ourselves that way, knowing that we are way less than God, he says, fine, I'll let you live that way. Doesn't mean you won't go to heaven. It just means that we've turned off the grace of God and his power. Now, when I was growing up, I was told, a number of times told from the pulpit, well, then don't take communion. Oh, we don't want to get it wrong. But why not just allow the Lord to heal your heart? Why not just change the direction in that relationship? Because if you live a Christianity where you're in and you're out, and you're in and you're out, rather than just living a life in a direction of the Lord, when I find myself getting off, I just turn back and go, okay, Lord, I'm pointing back at you again. And I know I've been harboring in unforgiveness for the abrasive one. I, I, I've, I've harbored in um, unforgiveness for the person who hurt me. When we come to communion, he says, examine ourselves. Why? Because the Lord then begins to remind us that, wait a minute, this isn't about you, this is about me. And when it becomes about you, you begin to put yourself in front of others and not living like Jesus. And so we're going to partake of communion. And around here, whenever we partake of communion, we believe that God is going to heal, that God's going to bring answers, that God is going to restore, not because there's some magical properties in what we're going to take, but because we've examined our hearts and we can come and we can pray for sickness. We can pray for uh, direction. We can pray for a reordering of thought process, whatever it might be. And God comes and moves because that's what he does. So you guys ready to do it? So let's, let's, let's remove the bread together first. And I'll, I'm going to pray and then we're going to partake together. Father, we come before you and we thank you that you allowed your son to be broken, that his body endured things that no man should ever have to endure, that, Lord, we know through Scripture that he wasn't even recognizable as a man. Lord, you allowed your body to be broken so that, Lord, we in our broken state might be made whole. Lord, as we prepare to partake of communion, Lord, we want, to, we want your spirit to... to um, to, to really begin to speak to our hearts as we examine ourselves where there are people in our lives that, that, that tried to break us, and maybe they did break us, but we didn't forgive. Lord, I pray that you help us to forgive, and that, Lord, we would, we would look to you for that forgiveness, that we wouldn't try to, we'd try to do some form of humanistic manufacturing of it, but that, Lord, we would say, Lord, I don't know how to forgive, but my interaction with you is going to help me to, to live a life of forgiveness so I can release that. And any other area, Lord, that would hinder your grace coming upon our life, Lord, we say, forgive us. We turn to you. We want to receive the fullness of your grace, not just when we die, but now. And so, Father, I pray that, Lord, as we have done that, Lord, any person that needs healing in their body, any person that needs healing in their mind, any person who has a, a crushed spirit, Lord, that you would restore right now in the name of Jesus. There's nothing wrong with saying, Jesus, bring that to me. Jesus, heal me. Jesus, would you come and, and restore? Jesus, would you come and direct? 
Jesus, would you? And his desire is to, he's a highly relational God. And so, Lord, we just give you thanks that your body was broken for us. And we just receive it now in Jesus' name. Let's partake together. Lord, we thank you that you shed your blood for the forgiveness of sin. And Lord, we receive the confidence of our salvation right now in Jesus' name. And some of you need to incorporate that right now into your life. It's not based on you. You're incorporating the confidence in the work of Jesus Christ at the cross. And we declare that, Jesus, your work, not our work. Lord, your work led us to a direction. But Lord, it's you. Make no mistake. Lord, thank you for growing, helping us to grow in the confidence that, Lord, it is in you and you alone through the blood of Jesus that we are saved. And so we receive that and we declare that in Jesus' name. Let's partake together. So Paul is addressing people in the community who the community was about me rather than me about community. When it, you live a life that says it's, it's me, uh, it's, uh, it's me for the community, then all of a sudden now you begin to walk in. You begin to behave in a manner where you now move to a place where it's intercession, where you're able to love like Jesus. Intercession, uh, it just simply means to intervene. It means that we are now, we are pleading. Um, we're we're going to be an advocate. And the purpose of Pentecost creating this countercultural uh, cultural community is that everybody I had up here, I'm now pleading for them because I want what's best for them. And so part of that is I am praying for them. I'm praying that the Lord will help me to help them. I become a bridge for them in that community. I like the fact that uh, another one of our group leaders in that conversation said, hey, how can we help this person? So I want to know, just how can we help? What can we do? Because intercession is about making sure that every person has an advocate. In that culture, they sold things in order to give. It's one of the things that I know people did when, when we, in November, we, our whole month, we put an emphasis on Convoy of Hope, and, and, and they really are feeding, you know, 386,000 people a day, and they're, whenever there's a hurricane or an earthquake or a tsunami or a tornado, they are there. And so we, we work one day of that month to, to do that. And some people, that wasn't enough. They went out and sold things in order to give. That's what, the, that's what that early community, that Pentecostal community did. Because they want what's best for others. Now, you got to understand this. Love, the difference between the living like Jesus and loving like Jesus, when we live like Jesus, people experience the fruit of the Spirit. But when, when you love like Jesus, your intentionality, it just begins to come off the chart. Because now you are choosing and you're being intentional about walking toward hurting lost people. You're saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and I'm going to move toward them. 
Scripture said they had all things in common. It didn't mean that they all shared the same house and wore the same clothes. No, what it meant was is that their goals were God's goals. And because their goals were God's goals, their desires were God's desires, there was a unity, there was a coming together that took place. And I'm telling you, in this world where people need to experience Jesus, there's nothing more powerful than a person experiencing the love of Jesus. But for us, it's just a simple, we need to start. And, and, and here's, here's where some of us need to go this week. Some of us need to say no to some form of entertainment. Now, entertainment can look a lot of different ways. We are in an entertainment-driven society. And in order to love, you have to be able to walk away from something. So if, if, you're, if you're now binging on something on Netflix or Amazon Prime or whatever, Hulu, say, wait a minute, I'm going to take an hour and I'm going to walk away from that towards something. Now, you may not know what to walk toward, so start praying. So I'm saying, Lord, you know the people who are in my life. I, yesterday, I had just most interesting interaction with my next-door neighbor. He's not actually my next-door neighbor. He just owns the house. It's been empty for three years. And I'm talking with him, and he's telling me about why the house is still empty. Him and his sister haven't gotten along for 40 years. And listen, I'm a pastor, and I knew exactly what to do. I walked back in the house. But because of interaction, the Lord began to convict me about it. He said, what are you doing? Get back out there, find out her name, and let him know that we're going to start praying. And we're going to expect God to do something. We can get so focused on the things in our life that we don't walk away from the small things to do small things. Want to go next level? Make a choice to break bread with somebody new this week. I was... Um, there's this book that um, I read uh, a year ago, and I, and I just set it aside. And it, I, of all the books I've read in the last number of years, this one challenged me the most. The name of the book is Surprise the World. And uh, his premise is that if we're going to live missional lives, uh, we've got to have, have three meals with people who are not part of our normal life a week. I'm like, well, I don't know that I'm there yet. But when we make a choice to bridge by having other people over to our house or going to Starbucks with them, meeting with them, and, and breaking bread with people that are new, what are we doing? Now we're loving because we're initiating, we're incorporating. And as we incorporate, we have this interaction that allows for transformation to happen. And I think the third thing that I want to finish with is just simply look for ways to help somebody. Uh, another small group leader and in a meeting said, hey, we want to we serve the poor. You got some ideas for us? And inside I was like, yes. I didn't have to preach a message. I didn't have to listen to a podcast. They just were living in the love of Jesus in such a dynamic way that they couldn't contain it to themselves. So they said, I want to go that direction. I want to be able to give to people who have none. So what are you willing to do? for the purpose of Pentecost, which is far more than a church style. It really is a lifestyle. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to take steps. Lord, for the person that needs to step away from things this week, Lord, I'm glad that you will show by your spirit what you're asking them to walk away from. Lord, for the person that, that you're asking to, to reach out to someone different, to someone new, 
to, to break bread with, to have, to have a coffee with. Lord, I pray, Lord, that there would be follow-through as your spirit prompts us to incorporate somebody new into our life. Lord, I thank you that, Lord, you are uh, continuing to challenge us to move toward people who need help. So, Lord, I know that the expression that you have for us is only partially lived out in this hour and 15, hour and a half time that we have together, that it's fully lived out, it's fully walked out. Lord, as we leave this building and we are intersecting with all these different lives, Lord, I thank you that, Lord, your spirit is going to show us who you want us to go toward this week in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Hey, thank you again for joining us. We hope that our time together has been a blessing to you. And it doesn't have to end there. If you want to find last week's sermon, you can go to Facebook, YouTube, or you can listen to us on the audio podcast. You can let us know if you'd like to be further connected in a life group. But let me go ahead and pray as we close and say, God, thank you for being with us, Lord God. Thank you for helping us to carry your words, Lord God, and change our lives, Lord. Help us to carry your love to those around us. And we thank you for what you are doing. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you and thank you for being a part. We hope to see you soon.